Okay, I want to thank uh, uh, Dan and Donna for opening your home to do this. Really, I appreciate it. And uh, we should just, everyone should have a refuah, everyone should be well, and everyone should be healthy. And uh, Shear is in honor of everyone who needs a refuah um, during this time. Uh, just the purpose of this year is to review some of the, all the great new Torah that's come out this year. I wanted to start by highlighting some Sfarim in case you wanted to purchase your own books uh, to see what's hot out there. So here's, some of them I will be referring to, some of them I won't. But here's one, for example, The Tree of Life and Prosperity by Michael Eisenberg. Uh, Michael Eisenberg is a uh, very well-off businessman in Israel now and a big Talmud Chacham. And he wrote this safer. You know, it's, uh, it's what's it called? Ari Mark's brother, brother-in-law. So he wrote this book, uh, yeah, it's oh. Miriam's uh, brother. So this book is excellent. It's, he mixes business advice from Breshit. It's incredible. Terrific book. Um, those with uh, Hasidic bent, uh, you know, we can buy this for Dan for his, uh, for Kanaka. Hilchot uh, Mitzvatans, right? The Hasidim dance with the Kala at the end of the wedding. The Rebbe dances with the Kala at the end of the wedding. Not only that, I went to go look at the, see the Haskamot at the beginning. And the Haskamot, the, the, the approbations at the beginning said, um, these are from my other Sefer, Hilchot Streimel. So, yes, it says that here. But it's such a great Sefer because it seems like he had so much he wanted to say and just use this topic to get it out. There's so many great footnotes in the Sefer. It's an incredible Sefer. The first, I would say, mainstream book on meditation has come out in the Judaica world. It's Bodedut. Uh, it's excellent. By the Bilvavi Mishkan Evna, based on the meditation practices, not of Breslov, but of the Vilna Gon. So it gives a counterpoint for those who are interested in pursuing these types of things. Um, Baderech. This was the book of Elul this year. Baderech by Rabbi Judah Michel, who's a scholar in residence every year at Shalhevet, who's also the rabbi at the head of Camp Hask. He was here just recently. He wrote Baderech. It's such a good book. Baderech means, Rabbi Nachman says, how we're always on the path. Baderech. We're all, no matter which way you're going, you're always Baderech. And that's this book. It's amazing. Um, an incredible book on tefillah, on davening. The Art of Tefillah. So many books come out on davening. This one is amazing. By a friend of mine, Rabbi Daniel Glanz, who teaches at Mevaseret. Uh, it, it's so good. Because it, it breaks down everything you know about davening and destroys it. And then starts from the building blocks from the beginning. And it's really terrific. And one more I recommend here. Someone who's become very hot now since he passed away. His name is Rav Shagar. Rav Shagar is a very controversial figure in Israel. And they keep putting out his works. His wife, uh, I was emailing with, has been putting out his writings after he passed away. He has such incredible stuff. One of them is called Briti Shalom, on his vision for Israel going forward. Uh, it's excellent. Okay, so let's begin. Share with you some Divrei Torah, some highlights, uh, highlights of the year. Uh, first of all, here's someone who goes to Uman every year. It's just an individual. His name is Nachman Fried. He's a cabinet maker. That's what he was. His name is Nachman Fried. He's a Breslov, and he lives in Brooklyn. And I was talking to him, and this, when I heard this, I'm like, this is going on the list this year. He's like, why did Hashem make us in a way where we can't see ourselves? We can't see ourselves. It's such a strange thing. You, you can't, I mean, you need a mirror to be able to see yourself. But technically speaking, and for much of civilization, people didn't commonly have mirrors. So you really can't see yourself. Why is that? So Nachman Fried says, because Hashem wanted you to discover yourself in how the other person, how you look in the eyes of the other person. Meaning you want to understand who you are, see how the people around you see you, how they relate to you. 
That'll give you everything you need to know about who you are as a person when you understand that. And that's beautiful because I thought, I'm like, oh my gosh, that's kamocha. Love your neighbor as yourself. Because when you interact with your neighbor, that's exactly how you're going to come to kamocha. You're going to come to yourself and see yourself at that moment. Uh, this takes me down a different path, which is one of the writers for the Yated Neman wrote an article. Uh, his name is Rav Genut. He has a lot of articles in Yated Neman. And he was saying how the Rosh Yeshiva of the Yeshiva Kol Torah, which is where Rav Shlomo Zalman Orbach was, uh, he said Rav Shmuel Diskin was diagnosed with one year to live. This was many years ago, but he just printed the story. And he was going to write, he has a very famous set of farm called Masas Moshe. And he was going to print another volume of Masas Moshe, but this time on Zvachim. And he had one year left to live. And the question is, should he spend that year writing this last Sefer? Essentially pouring out of himself what he has left. Or spending it with his students. And Ravarn Leib Steinman says, forget the Sefer. Whatever more you can give to a connection to other people, that's by far more important. The key is how you see yourself in others. The key is the relationship with other people that trumps anything else uh, you would ever do. Okay, and that's what he said. That's, uh, that was in this article. Rav Aaron Leib Steinman, who passed away a year ago, gave this advice to uh, Rav Shmuel Diskin, who was the Kol Torah Rosh Hashiva. Um, this Sefer, this is the one I talked about, Rav Shagar, Rit Shalom. He passed away way too early, but he has so much brilliant stuff to say. So he was a soldier in the Israeli army, and his tank during the Yom Kippur War caught on fire. It caught on fire. And he had an epiphany at that moment. And he talked about how... He talk, the whole purpose of this book, very controversial, it's called Yamin Usmol, Right and Left, Milchama V'Shalom, War and Peace. And he says it's easy to create slogans. It's easy to create emotions in a time of war. And there's nothing easier. But the reality is stronger than words. And there's something different about your amuna after you're in a tank covered in flames. Um, and this book, I, I didn't want to capture any one idea in this book, um, but he tries to transcend limitations of both sides, right? The right says, blow them all up, blow them all up, blow them all up. And the left says, war is corrupting Israel's soul, right? That's the message of the left, right? Occupation and war is corrupting. And he says, if we're stuck in all this back and forth, we'll kill each other for the next 200 years in, in the state of Israel. We'll, we'll really kill you. Meaning, he's talking about Jews, not talking about outside. He's talking about internally. We'll kill each other. We have to get to our place where we could see above all this, much bigger. And he draws a lot from Rabbi Nachman. He draws a lot from the Lubavitcher Rebbe. He draws a lot um, from Rav Kook. He plays with a beautiful image that each of us are like soldiers coming home from battle. Every Jew has had some battle in their life. And they're coming home and everything has changed once you go home after war. It's never the same. You speak to a soldier, there's a, a sense of loss of identity when they get back home. And he says, that's all of us. We've all been through a certain war, so to speak. And we've come back trying to figure out what our identity is, who we are. We're not a people who are used to acting like this. We don't know what to do. We're trying to find. This takes me to another Dvar Torah. There's beautiful Dvar Torah coming out from the Druk family. Rav Mordechai Druk, Rav Mati Druk. So I'll tell you a new Dvar Torah. It says, Vayikach Ramach Biyado that Pinchas took the spear in his hand when he saw the person violating the law and he stabbed him. So why does it say, Vayikach Romach Biado? He took the spear in his hand. Just say he stabbed him. Well, he took the spear. It's coming to show you that Pinchas was not a person walking around with a sword in his hand waiting to kill people. That's what it's trying to tell you. It's telling you that this was against his nature. He had to go and say, where's a weapon in this place? Like it wasn't readily available to him. He wasn't thinking this way. He had to become this because that's what was necessary. And Rav Shagar draws on the same message. We're not naturally warriors. That's not what we are. 
Sometimes we have to become that because we have no choice, right? The, it's a golden ears line. More than we, more than uh, right, we, we right, more than we hate what they've done to us. We hate that we have to kill them, right? That that you, you know. So that that same idea that we have to, had to become this, and that's uh, Rav Druk. One of the big superstars of this year is someone you need to know his name. His name is Rav Shol Alter. Rav Shol Alter is the Rosh Yeshiva of Ger Ger Hasidim, one of the biggest dynasties in the world, top three right now. So. He broke away from the group. He broke away. What's a good dynasty without a breakup? I don't know. You could, you know, you got Chabad obviously and Bells. Bells, Chabad, and Ger are the big three. I don't know. I made that up. But you would say Ger is the biggest one. Listen, you could define it by real estate. You could define it by Hasidim. Ger, Ger might be the biggest in terms of real estate. Yeah, real estate value. So who knows? So Rav Shol Alter um, is such a force, uh, really. He's the Rosh Yeshiva. He has such a following. He came to America four months ago. Hundreds of thousands of people came to see him in different yeshivas, every left, different Lakewood, yeshivish, chasidish. He went all over. So let me just tell you two beautiful nuggets from him this year. Now, um, you know, Moshe has to give the password so people know he's the savior who's going to take them out of Mitzrayim. Everybody knows the password is Pakot Pakadati. Yosef says, whoever says Pakot Pakadati, that's the guy. Now, here's the problem what if somebody steals the code and claims to be the leader? What if somebody stole the code? What if someone overheard Moshe's practicing in the, in the tent? He's practicing and someone overhears it and then goes to the people. Did, what was the contingent for somebody stealing the code? So he says beautifully, he's such a wide, wide area of breadth of knowledge. He says that pakod, the word pakod, comes from, the Gemara tells us, pakod is when, for example, talking about extracting liquid from a fruit on Shabbos. So pakod means when you draw out that which is swallowed up into the fruit, brings it out, right? Dam mifkat pakid, the Gemara in Ksuvah says. Dam mifkat pakid, right? So says Rav Shol Alter, he says beautifully, he says, no, it's not that Moshe is going to come and say pakod pakadati. It's more than that. Whoever is going to be the person who's going to make them believe that there's more inside of them than they ever thought, that's the pakod pakadati person, and you know to believe him. Because we asked, how do, how come, what if somebody stole the codes of pakod pakadati and they follow the wrong guy? No, Rav Shol Alter says pakod pakadati was not words. It's just where anybody could say words. It's the value behind it. It's someone's going to come and let them believe they deserve more. And the moment they feel that, that's the right guy. That's how they know it's going to be Moshe. I'll tell you one more from Rav Shol Alter. He's so many, I mean, every week he's popping out amazing stuff. Rav Shol Alter says, we know in the Torah, a sign of a kosher fish is snapir v'kaskeset, skins, fins, and scales. The Gemara says that every animal uh, with a kaskeset with scales, right, is automatically kosher. It's kosher. We know already, because it's going to have, and therefore, so if you already, already have the scales, if it has snapir, why do I also need, kaskeset, why do I also need to learn about snapir? Right? If this, every kosher animal is automatically going to have scales, then what do you give me the second criteria of snapir? This is a question not Rav Shalalter. This is the Gemara need to ask it. The answer of the Gemara is lahagdil Torah liyadir. So we have to magnify Torah. We usually think it means that God wanted to give us more things to be busy with in terms of mitzvahs. Says Rav Shalalter, no. He says it's a metaphor. This is so beautiful. The metaphor is as follows. Judaism, the basics are the scales, the framework. Right? The framework the halacha, the keeping the laws. But you can't stop there. 
you need, for your Judaism to mean something, you want your lahagdil Torah Yadira, you have to be able to swim. You have to have fins. You have to be able to fly. You have to be able to go beyond the framework of what our forefathers have given us and go beyond that. That's why you need both Snapir and Kaskeset. Kaskeset is the framework. They all have it. Kosher, do you have the framework? Great. But you need more. You need the Snapir. And that's why the Gemara says, Lahagdil Torah Yadir. That's what makes the Torah magnificent. You have to be able to swim and go a little bit further. Okay, they printed the Svarim of the Rimnever. A lot of it was removed from us. We didn't have it. There were clips here. There were pieces there. They edited and redacted all the writings of the Rimnever Rebbe. Uh, the Menachem Tzion. His stuff is unreal. I'm going to show you how good it is. By, the Rimnever was 18, uh, 19, early 19th century. Okay? We didn't have a lot. A lot of his stuff was lost. So the Menachem Tzion says like this. Says, and... and, and I'm taking for you the most esoteric random piece in a sefer to show you how it, this is amazing. He's years ahead of his time. The mitzvah of etzem losish berubo. By the Korban Pesach, you're not allowed to break any of the bones when you have the Korban Pesach. There's an iser. Etzem losish berubo. Do not break any of the bones. So look what he says. Because I remember opening this Dvar Torah and I was going to skip to the next one. I'm like, I, what am I going to get from that? And he says, don't think this doesn't apply in every time. Lokein hadavar. Yadu teidu, you should know. She'itim halalu lo yischashfu klal begeder hazman. Everything in the Torah transcends time. So you can never say, oh, that was only important 2,000 years ago. But come on, Rabbi, it's 2022. What's now? No. The Rimdaver says, the Menachem Tzion says, the whole Torah was given l'malam in azman. So everything by its nature. There's nothing in the Torah that we could say it doesn't apply now. There's no such thing as time. Time is a created construct to help us keep certain mitzvahs, to follow a sequence, to know where to go. But intrinsically, Torah was given beyond time. So everything. So he goes, so what about etzem lo sishpurubo? Don't break any of the bones. He says, I think that's teaching us don't cut corners in religion. Don't break the bones. Don't, you know what, I'll do half of it. I'll do a little bit. You know, do you think God cares if I turn on the light? Come on, does he really care? Don't cut corners with Judaism. You want to change it, change, that's up to you. You change your own life. Don't change the Torah. Don't break the bone when you're going to keep mitzvah A or B. Don't think because I'm doing this, I, don't have to do it. I can get rid of that mitzvah. That's etzem lo sishpurubo, beautiful from the Rimnever. Rav Isaac Sher was the Rosh Hashiva of Slobodka Yeshiva in Lithuania and Bnei Brak. He was the son-in-law of Rav Nassim Svifinkel, the altar of Slobodka. So his writings are also put together. I saw such a beautiful line of his. It's amazing. Right on Pesach night, we're supposed to make ourselves as though we left Egypt. You cannot make yourself as though you left Egypt unless you first make yourself as though you went down to Egypt. Isn't that great? We always say you should make yourself like you're leaving Egypt. Well, you can't do that unless you first go down to Egypt. And that means a person has to put themselves in a frame of reference of what it means to be in Gullus. What am I missing? If you never review first, what am I missing by being in this? You can never understand what it means to come out of it. God, bring us the Gula, bring us the Mashiach. For what? You have everything. What do you care? You have everything. What are you asking for? So you first have to go into Mitzrayim to know what you're missing in order to ask God, please help me come out of it. And that's the harder avoda to go into Mitzrayim when you don't think you're there. That's the harder avoda, says Rav Isaac Sher. Beautiful, Ritzchak Sher, beautiful insight. Very hard for us to see that nowadays. Um, Rav J.J. Shachter, who is a, you know, is a, a, a Rav at Yeshiva University and um, a tremendous Talmud Tachem, a tremendous scholar, historian as well. He had such an amazing device. This is incredible. This is going to knock your socks off. So it's on the Gemara in Sanhedrin. 
The Gemara and Sanhedrin is talking about Yechezkel 37. Ezekiel 37 is a famous parak. It's the Valley of the Dry Bones, where um, the, the Lubavitch Rebbe had a famous letter on this. This is how he, he you know, called to all the shlichim to awaken all the dry bones. Let's go. So he says like this, that, um, that you know, the, the, the dry bones image is how God's going to... Yechezkel takes dry bones, he puts in it flesh, and so on and so forth, and they come back to life. It's really... It's so the Gemara in Sanhedrin picks up where Yechezkel left off and then asks, well, what happened to those dry bones that he brought back to life? Where'd those dead bodies go? We never talk about what happened to them later. So the first opinion in the Gemara, Rabbi Eliezer says, the, Yeche- the dead that Yechezkel revived stood on their feet, va'amru shira, they sang shira, and they died. Rabbi Eliezer, the son of Yosei Aglili, says, the dead that Yechezkel revived went to Israel, Married women had sons and daughters. Okay? Third opinion, Rabbi Yehuda ben Becerra says, I am a descendant. I am a descendant of those bodies that were brought back to life. And these are the tefillin that my grandfather left to me. So three opinions in the Gemara. One, some sang a song and died. Two, they got married and lived their lives, had sons and daughters. Three, he got up and says, these are them, and he's holding up the tefillin. I'm from them, and here's the tefillin. Rabbi J.J. Shachter, this is amazing. He says, I heard an interpretation from my father. His father is Rabbi Herschel Shachter, not the one from YU. You could look him up. He has a great story where he met the Lubavitcher Rebbe. Look up Rabbi Herschel Shachter and the Lubavitcher Rebbe. It's an awesome video online. And he was a chaplain in the American army during World War II. And he was the first American Jewish chaplain to liberate a concentration camp in Buchenwald, April 11th, 1945. And after that experience, his father interpreted this Gemara. Amazing. What happened to the dead that Yechezkel brought to life? What happened to those that survived the Holocaust? The dead that were brought back to life. The first group were those who were happy to be alive. They sang praise, but they died. They left the Jewish people. No more identity. It was over for them. They were gone. No one's judging them, but it was too much afterwards. There was no reason to continue Judaism, per se. That's one group. The second group went to Israel. They built a state. And 25% of the roughly 600,000 Jews who were living in Israel in May 48 were founded by Holocaust survivors. They had children. They lived there. They're the founders of the state of Israel. Then there's the third group. The third group was Rabbi Yehuda ben Becerra. And it's not enough to just say that we survived. But here, I'm holding up the tefillin. I'm holding up the mitzvahs. I'm holding up, I'm holding on to something that transcends just survival. And that's important for our generation. It's not just about survival anymore. You can't just say you got to do it because these people survived this and they survived migration through this country, that country. It does, no one cares. It's more than that. It's about surviving for something bigger, for the mitzvahs, for something that affects our life and makes us better than what we are uh, right now. One of the great tzaddikim in Israel right now is Rav Avigdor Nevinsal, who was the star student of Rav Shlomo Zaman Orbach. You can meet him in the old city of Yerushalayim. You can go visit him to this day. He always has a smile on his face in every picture. That reason is because his Rebbe, Rav Shlomo Zaman Orbach, always had a smile on his face. So we think we pick up from the Rebbe just halachas, but we also pick up from the Rebbe even how to smile everywhere. He smiles all the time. So, Nasa Venishma, right? When the Jews got to Har Sinai, he says, Nasa Venishma, we'll do and we will hear. Rabbeinu Yonah says that with this statement, when they said Nasa Venishma, 
they received reward for all of the mitzvahs. Right? They received reward because they said, we'll do it all before we even know what it says. So they got reward because Machshava Kamaisa, they had good intention, they got reward for everything. Rav Nevensal has a chiddish where he wants to say, I want to go one step further than this. They received much more reward than all the mitzvahs. Why? Rabbeinu Yonah assumes they got reward for all the stuff they didn't know was there yet. 613 stuff. So they get 613 points, let's call it. Rav Nevensal says no. In their mind, anything was an option. You understand? Not 613. A billion was an option. Five billion. They had no knowledge of what's coming. So in their mind, it's not just one thing or the other. It could be anything. So says Rav Nevensal, when they said Nasa Venishma, the reward was not 613 points. The reward was infinity. Was everything. And that's why the moment they said Nasa Venishma was such a critical moment for the Jewish people. Because at that moment, they accepted everything. Infinity and beyond. Buzz, right? Buzz, right? They accepted, they accepted everything. Now, next idea. The secular Jews in the state of Israel, um, we're never sure how to relate to them, right? How do we relate to them? Meaning, what's their status? In terms of counting for a minion, in terms of uh, many different things, right? What's their, what's their status? So we call them Tinok Shinishpa, right? The Chazanish is the one who determined this. Chazanish says, consider them like children who were held in captivity. They didn't know any better. So therefore, our relationship to the secular Jew is not one of where we don't consider them Jewish in any way. They're Tinok Shanishpa. They didn't know any better. This is how they were raised when they came here in 1948, 52, the Tel Aviv Jew. Their son, you think he knew any better? He didn't know any better. That was always the way, classically. Lubavitcher Rebbe similarly had such a notion of Tinok Shanishpa by, the, um, by, by a secular Jew. The problem is this generation, you cannot say they don't know better. They know better now. You can go online and hear thousands of shirim. So someone raised the problem that you, the, the position of the Chazanish might have worked for the secular Israelis of the first two generations in the state of Israel. It's not going to give coverage to the current generations. So how are we supposed to understand their relationship to Judaism? So Rav Avram Kaplan, who was the Rosh Yeshiva of the Hildesheimer Seminary in Europe, he gave a hesped when Herzl died. The secular... Right? One of the founders of the state of Israel, one of the pioneers who led people towards the state of Israel was a secular Jew. And he gave a hespit on Herzl. What's he going to say? Herzl hated religion. So he said, Herzl let us do for the first time what a Jew could never do. Declare Ivri Anochi. Yonah Perak Aleph Pasuk Tet. Or Benny Friedman. Able to say for the first time Ivri Anochi. I am a Jew. That was never possible before then. A Jew didn't dare speak up and say, I am Jewish, before Herzl got up and convened. Well, you hid, you hid under, you hid in a shtetl somewhere, you didn't let anybody know you were Jewish. You kept to yourself and stayed away. So I was thinking, maybe that's the new tether. Meaning, what's the tether that keeps the secular Israeli connected to us? So before, we always said, they didn't know better, it's accident. Keep them tethered. It could be the tether now is no longer that. That no longer applies, but something else applies. There is still, and you hope to this day, there's a notion of Ivri Anochi. When a person says, I'm a Jew, it's who I am. I'm, I don't know what I keep, what I don't keep, I don't know. But Ivri Anochi. And that right now is what holds the Jewish people together. That pride of being Jewish. And you hope that's what sustains us for the next hundred years. That at least there should be a pride. Even if you're not religious, at least there should be a pride of being Jewish. Um, next idea. Rav Hadari, who was, uh, Rav Hadari was a great Rav in Yerushalayim, who recently passed away. 
Rav Hadari, they're putting out his writings as well. And um, he was a Rav at Yeshiva HaKotel. Very holy, very holy Jew. So he said a quote here. I'll, to introduce it, I'll give you Lahavdil, a quote from the book, The Little Prince. The Little Prince says, The things are, which are important lie behind the things that are apparent. Meaning, you want to find something important? It's often behind the things that you just don't even notice anymore. That's always there. It's right there. It's been there all the time. That could be a metaphor to your soul. It could be a metaphor to the burning bush. It was there all along. It just, you didn't notice it. You didn't stop to see it. So he says like this. This whole world, we're used to seeing the external. There's outside and inside. What is now and what is in the future. We want to see beyond. When the Jews stood at the water that split, they stood and they saw. What did they see? We finally were able to see beyond what was always apparent in front of us. On Shabbos, our eyes begin to open to see something we normally can't see. Hamanucha. How do you explain to someone what Shabbos means? There's a feeling. There's a feeling that one has when Shabbos begins. And it cannot be because of the chicken or because of this. I remember I went to go at uh, Milken. Uh, at Milken, they invite me every year before COVID to uh, show up with a Reform, conservative, and Orthodox rabbi, Milken High School, to explain Shabbos. So I said one year, I'm going to bring in a huge thing of cholent. So I put it in the car, the huge thing of cholent. They didn't let it in because they don't accept outside kashras. You believe? They didn't let it in. They didn't let me bring in the cholent. So anyways, but how do you convey, how are you going to convey what the feeling is? And that's what he's saying here. The key is certain times a Jew is given a glimpse to see beyond the physical. And that's why it's not just about the reason you shut... The value of Shabbos... It, oh, because now we get to shut down from the devices. We get to turn off the noise. It's not the noise that's the goal to turn it off. It's because you've turned off the noise, now maybe you could finally notice something. Now maybe you could finally see. And that's the value. That's where it goes one step beyond. It's not just like there's a new... It's a movement now of turning off on Sunday. You know, it, no, it, it's, it's... The goal is not the turning off. It's because you've turned off, now you could begin to finally see. And that's what Ravadari talks about. And that's, uh, that's this idea. What became very popular this year with Spider-Man and everything was the notion of the multiverse. Everybody loves the multiverse, right? What's the multiverse? So the multiverse was, I'll explain it. Marvel Comics had a problem. I'll explain. I'll explain. Yeah, Marvel Comics had a problem. There's so many different stories going on of Batman, of Spider-Man, of all these guys that you can't keep track of which one's happening, what year, how. This contradicts that because everyone's writing a different version of it. So Marvel Comics said no problem. Multiverse. There's multiple universes where these are all happening, and they don't have to contradict each other. It's different universes. So Marvel did not invent multiverse. It's been around already since the Middle Ages. It was made most famous in 1952, a guy by the name of Schrodinger, philosopher and scientist. Schrodinger got up in Scotland, and he said at a physics conference, I'm going to say something, you're going to think I'm crazy. And it became the famous image of Schrodinger's cat. He said, when you put a cat in a box... There's one version right now where the cat is dead. There's one version where the cat's alive. They're both true. They're both real. Everyone thought he was nuts. Years later, it became true when we discovered quantum physics, that there's multiple layers on which the universe is happening. That's the multiverse. There's multiple layers. So I was thinking about this idea that became very big right now, the multiverse and Schrodinger's cat. And I realized this is, we've believed this for hundreds of years. This is old news for us. First of all, if you're a fan of the Tanya, you have the four worlds. You see things in Asiya, Yetzirah, Bria, Atzilut. 
There's multiple levels and layers by which to... How come no one noticed the burning bush that was there all along? How come no one saw it? I thought... It didn't just appear when Moshe came there. The Midrashim tell us it was always there. No one walked that path ever. There's multiple layers to the world. We see things over here. Some people see things here. Some people see things here. And that's why Moshe noticed it. He was just on a higher level. He saw it here. When you're at a different level of the universe, you see things differently. It's what Rav Hadari is talking about. This ties into something amazing that Rav Huttner said. Listen to this. Rav Huttner, the Pacha Yitzchak. If you just hear this tonight, this is Dayanu, Okay. We have something called Elu ve'elu kim chaim. The Gemara says both are right. When you have a machlokas, we believe both are right. Both are right when we have a machlokas. So that works out when you have a machlokas as to uh, whether or not uh, the soup fell in the chicken and does, is it kosher, is it not kosher? Okay, one opinion says, can you say Shmaba laying down or not? Beit Shammai, Beit Hillel, both are right. We follow one, but both is right. Fine. But what about when you have a machlokas about something that happened in history? For example, the planks of the Mishkan. Was it four Amos or six Amos? You can't say both are right. It either was or wasn't. It happened one way. The Medrash argues how old was Yitzchak at the Akedah. You can't say both are right. It either happened or it didn't. Says Rav Hutner, you say Elu Elu. Why? There's one version that manifested in the world in front of you. And there's one version that manifests not in front of you. The world that manifests in front of you is the one that we follow. The world that we don't see is the other opinions. And there's multiple options that didn't play out in our world. I'm reading this rough footnote. I'm like, he stumbled onto Schrodinger's cat. This is multiverse. This is all of this. Well, how do you explain that? Wait, so let's yeah. go back to the age. Yeah. How, do you, how does he explain it? I don't understand that. No, what? he's saying when something became the halacha, for example, um, whether Yitzchak was uh, three years old, okay, right? Yes. So let's say he was that in history. There's another timeline of history not in our space, but in a parallel sense, that really happened where he was 23, where he was 27. So this con- concept of things existing on different levels in quantum physics, Rav Huttner says, applies to the realm of Jewish machshava as well. And that's why halacha values the, other, values the other opinions. Okay, take you a couple more ideas and we'll bring it to a close. I saw a beautiful new shot of why Moshe was left out of the Haggadah. Everybody asks, why is Moshe left out of the Haggadah? Famous question. He really, he's there for a moment, but he's basically left out. So there's a new series of podcasts from Mayor Soloveitchik, who quotes his great uncle, Rav Soloveitchik, Rav Yosef Soloveitchik, and he says the following. He says, Judaism ascribes a certain notion to heroes. Moshe is reserved as the hero of the law, not the hero of the Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim. He needs to be preserved as Moshe, the hero of the lawgiver, not Moshe, the guy who took us out. If you put Moshe in the Haggadah, Moshe's value to our people is the one who schlepped us out. Moshe would have given, God would have put anybody there to take us out. Moshe's true greatness was as a teacher. That's what made Moshe great. And therefore, says Rav Soloveitchik, the Torah muted him on the Yitzhiah thing, so we amplify his role. We don't call him Moshe uh, Golenu. We call him Moshe Rabbeinu. He's our teacher. That's what he is. He's our Rabbeinu, first and foremost. I'll tell you another beautiful story that came out this year, different Bar Torah. Uh, my Rebbe, Rav Shechter, it's known whenever he has tea, he has tea for his throat when he's giving a shear, he'll never take sugar. He'll never take sugar. So there's a podcast uh, called uh, Beyond the Bima, Beyond the Ahmed, and Ephraim Goldberg from Florida. So Ephraim Goldberg asked Rav Shechter, uh, what's the deal with the tea? What's the story that you don't like sugar? Because there's giving him tea there. He goes... I, I, he goes, I love sugar. So he goes, why don't you take it? He goes, 
When I was young, I went with my wife to a kibbutz in Israel. And the guy probably didn't know that you have to separate miser from sugar as well. Oh, shemitah. Shemitah is applied to sugar as well. So I didn't want to offend him. Right? So I didn't want to offend him. So I said, I don't take tea with sugar. I didn't want to be a liar after that. So from then on, I don't take tea with sugar. That's integrity. That's integrity. To us, we look at it like, what? That's integrity. You hear the word? A man of Shechter never, for all these years, never wanted to go back on that. So for all his t- t- drinking terrible tea, all these years. So he never, now he has stevia, he can get around it. But, uh, but now, but, uh, but that, for, for all these years, that's, that's, the way, that's the way it was. And he thinks about it every time. Every time he thinks about every it. I have to keep, MS, truth, MS, truth. Exactly. So I'll close with one more Dvar Torah, but this will bring it to an end. There's so much more from this year was, uh, was really incredible Divrei Torah, but I'll, I'll share with you one more. Um, someone by the name of Itchemeyer Morgenstern. It's one of my favorites. He's a chassid. He's the Rebbe of the Rebbe's. The Rebbe's send their kids to him to go learn uh, so that they could become a Rebbe's who knows something uh, in Israel. And Meyer has such beautiful Divrei Torah so he says the following, uh, he has the following thought. He has the following thought. He says like this. He says, we say, Dor la dor yeshabech masecha. Every generation, right, should praise you, right? Dor la dor yeshabech masecha. So he reads it the following. Every generation, your deeds yeshabech masecha. Your deeds become better. How do they become better? Because the challenges to Judaism increase every generation. What was your test one year? It's so much harder now than it ever was before, right? Then you were cut off from society. If you were in a frum circle, you were cut off. All you had was your safer or to milk a cow. You had nothing. Now you have everything. Get the internet. You have everything. So door la door, yeshabach masecha. Every act that a Jew does now is magnified times a thousand. The, the rating on it because of what you do to keep a mitzvah nowadays um, is so much bigger, uh, is so much higher. So again, there's so much beautiful Divrei Torah, just uh, the tip of the iceberg over here and what we could share. But uh, Baruch Hashem, in this time, you know, the world shut down during COVID, but the Mechabre Svarim didn't stop. Torah didn't stop. There's more Svarim now coming out than ever before. I get on my WhatsApp from Beagle Eisen's, I get at least 60 Svarim a week they send me of beautiful Divrei Torah that keep coming out. And Torah is Mayim She'en Lehen Sof, it's water without end. Every time you think it's over, there's always more. There's always more and more that a person can be Makadish and could share in Divrei Torah. Yeshkoach, I thank you all. Thank you.